Chapter 11, Our Little Secret and James The last thing I see on the news as I flick off the TV is the mayor of a large city being sentenced to death for corruption. I look into his eyes as the camera closes in on him. He looks far away, lost. I grab the keys to the house and I turned off the aircon. It rattled to a halt, shuddering before the final puff of air left it. I've been called late at night a few times since my arrival by a guy who goes by the name of James. I've been too tired and busy with lesson preparation, so I haven't taken up him up on any of his late night eating offers yet. He is a friend who works with me, and he used her to contact me for a publicity tour of some local schools, drumming up businesses for his own small English language school. My colleague was asked to go along as well, and she was paid, like me, 200 renminbi for the day out. This morning, a small six-seater minivan swung around and stopped in front of us on a street corner, strategically away from the college campus. James jumped out of the passenger seat and rushed towards me, hand out. He smiled, perfect white pearly teeth shining out at me. He is, I guess, what you would call handsome, someone you'd see on a billboard smiling and reassuring you. Neat, perfect complexion, disarming smile, tall but not too tall. His grey suit seems perfectly tailored. There's a faint white pinstripe running through it, no creases. His skin doesn't even seem to crease as he smiles. He holds his hand out at just the right angle ready to shake my hand, and as we meet, he applies just the right amount of grip to the shake. An expensive or fake watch dangles from his arm, although I suspect it's not fake. He's as smooth as jade. After the pleasantries, he moved to the passenger door and he pulled it open and four cute-looking Chinese female teachers sat in the back, chewing on piles of pumpkin seeds. One girl had, I could see as she smiled at me, a groove in one of her front teeth where she was splitting the seeds. She told me later it's not unusual to get these grooves from breaking seed husks for years on years. Husks were dropped in spread-out newspaper on someone's lap. They stopped in various eating positions to wave hello to me, big warm smiles, and I was bundled in. We visited six schools in all, and there was an efficient formula for each one. First, we'd pull up, and while we waited in the car, James would jump out and make eye contact with his teacher contact in that school. He'd find them, shake hands, or he'd wrap a presidential arm around him or her. Actually, it was always a him. There'd be smiles and a discreet envelope tucked into a coat pocket. James' smiles were always porcelain, perfect. Then we'd all get out. The girls would join James and I'd be stuck with the photographer who smoked whenever we arrived at a school, sucking down the cigarette smoke like a soft drink. I wandered in his smoky shadow. James would go into a class and there'd be some speech and leaflets would go around and then I'd come in. I'd know when to go in because the photographer would smile and point into the room. I'd get a cheer. Kids would surge forwards in the cold. I'd sign their school books and say something loud and fun. When we'd been wrapped in excited kids for a few minutes, James would point at his watch. And no matter what, I had to drag myself away from the kids. The kids were all, all cold, but they were full of smiles. Despite the bare concrete and wooden stools, I noticed each school had TVs in each room and a computer projection system. Appearances can be deceptive. By the sixth school, though, I was dragging my feet. John looked the same as the morning. No creases. My face hurt from smiling. 
He seemed to be stuck in the smile. But it was fake. It was a magazine smile. After school six, I got back in the van and, like the other teachers, let my head rest against the rattling the rattling shake of the van and I slid into a bumpy sleep. My assistant from work nudged me when we'd arrived back at the campus. I rubbed my eyes and stretched wearily out of the van. James gave us the cash with a smile and offers, offered us a night out of hot, at a hot pot restaurant. There'll be many pretty girls there, he said with that huge plastic smile. I declined. James asked again and I just waved goodbye. He pushed his business card into my hand and said, I expect to see you soon. We make a lot of fun together. The other teachers were still asleep as the van pulled away. James looked like an advert propped in the front. I shuddered as I watched the van disappear into traffic. As we wandered back through the campus, my colleague said, Today was our little secret, okay? I don't think it was very legal. And she laughed, a nervous laugh, as the gates of the college closed slowly behind us. Chapter 12. Connected. Quote, The number of mobile phone subscribers in China reached a record of 320 million at the end of October, said the Ministry of Information on November the 22nd. This is a rise of 55.081 million over the end of last year. On the average, China has 5.5 million new mobile phone subscribers a month in the first 10 months this year, said the Ministry in its press release. At the end of October, there were 24.8 million mobile phones for every 100,000 Chinese, end quote. Everyone seems to be clicking away on mobile phones, or as they call them here, hand phones. I want to try and get connected to all this, and everyone looks astounded when I say I don't have a phone number. People with nothing, even poor-looking old farmers coming into town to trade, all seem to have phones. Phones are people's connection to the world. I'm with a girl called Judy, a quiet student from my class who has volunteered to assist me in, quote, purchase of new high-technology handphone. She's so quiet and shy it almost hurts sometimes to be with her. We dodge potholes in the old road that runs down the side of my block of units and connects us to the main drag. It's cold, my fingers ache a little, and I pull on some gloves. As I do... A guy at the side of the road, sitting in, in, the, in a bicycle cart full of apples, smiles at me and yells something, pointing to the apples with his red swollen hands. I smile back and with my well-practiced Chinese say, Buyao xie xie, which means I don't want any thanks. He asks, asks again, did he understand my Chinese? He smiles anyway. On my left is a large undercover market with rows of vegetables. Some of them I know how to name in English, some I still don't. Birds in cages wait to be picked out by shoppers before being killed on the spot. And meat is laid out on other tables, cleaned and ready to buy. And small deli-style shops sell chilies, pickled vegetables, soy sauce and other condiments. Some, of course, I don't recognise. My favourite new delicacy from this place is the sweet pork sausages that be that can be thrown in on the rice as it steams. It's fantastic. On my right is a row of what we call hole-in-the-wall restaurants. They are in the same size as what would be a small garage in Australia. Food that is chopped up and ready to cook is laid out in baskets or plates on the table. This is great for foreigners, 
It means you can point at what you want. It saves miming. The cook's hands are red and swollen from the cold. This blanket of grey cold that sits over the town, over everything. I soak up my surroundings greedily this morning. It feels like the culture shock is starting to pass away. I see what must be a farmer coming into town on his bicycle. Vegetables stacked up behind him, impossibly balanced, and I say to Judy, I'd like to be a farmer. And Judy laughs and says, A farmer is common. Everyone wants to live in the city. Why do you want to be a farmer? I talk about being in nature, and she says, Nature has bugs. It's beautiful to look at. City is better to live in. Very convenient. Later. How much for the trip into town, I ask, after we reach town. My teeth feel like they are being rattled out of place when we hit a badly potholed piece of road. She sighs. Oh, I could only get it from three RMB to two and a half RMB. My bargaining wasn't good. She looked away as she said it. She was very nervous about making eye contact with me. The mall looked dazzling white and clean, jutting up out of the old confusion of grey buildings around it. Inside was warm, almost too warm. People, literally brushing shoulder to shoulder, shuffled from the entrance to the escalator. We joined the shuffle and a family in front pushed forward when they saw I was behind them, leaving a bigger gap than usual. I wasn't sure why. I smirked at Judy, who'd noticed too. She just went red again. I pointed to phones and tapped Judy's shoulder and she had the guy take them out. As I rolled them over in my hand, she continued smiling and talking to this guy. It didn't take me long to figure out I liked one and it seemed cheap enough for, the f for a first phone here. This one looks pretty good. I think I'll take it, I said to Jude. She nodded and took it from me and started talking to the guy again. I started leafing through my pockets to find where I'd put the cash. A big wad of 100 renminbi bills. I found them in my back pocket finally and took them out to count. They seemed to be lost in words, these two. I went to the TV section and watched a Miss World pageant on 20 screens. Jude eventually tracked me down amongst the TVs and said, You must pay over here. She had my cash in her hand and she led me to a small counter with a cash register and a stony-faced woman in a bright blue blazer who took the money without a word, processed it and gave Jude three receipts. We headed back out into the cold, away from shiny white tiles and aircon and ducted music and onto the pothold street again. A guy rode by hauling garbage on his bicycle. His hands were red and swollen and his jacket had a slit that ran from under his collar down to his waist. He frowned against the wind and pedalled slowly. We crossed his path in new jackets, bright coloured shopping bags and warm gloved hands. Judy disappeared into a little convenience store that was squashed up against a Lawson's, which is a 24-hour convenience store. Lawson's was squeaky white and gleamed alongside the blackened walls and grim bare concrete of the small store next door. While she was gone, a group of hairdressers, their hair in wild red spikes, went back to work in a salon next to me. They stared and giggled at me as they passed. Judy came out smiling. This is for your phone. It's a SIM card. I corrected her and she nodded. Oh yes, SIM card. And your phone number is on the front. She helped me fumble around to put the card in and the phone sprang to life. She went to the contacts and put her phone number in and said, if you have a problem, I help you. Message me. This is my number. 
I smiled, but her eyes darted away, and we headed back into the street. I shivered a little, but I wasn't sure if it was the temperature this time. Relieved to be back in the semi-warmth of my flat and relieved to be not struggling in flourishing conversation with Jude, I kicked off, the, kicked off my shoes and boiled some water for a coffee, a sound that would become all too familiar chirped away on my table. The new phone had its first message. I peeled off my gloves and read the message from Judy. Smiley emoticon, hope new phone is good. You're a very handsome and sexy man. Hee hee. I frowned and held the phone in my hand as I sipped coffee, not sure how to begin to reply to that, how to reconcile this message against Jude's, Judy's personality. The phone had made a shy girl brave. I was now connected. I was part of this new revolution in China. Oh,